Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference one word at a time. Now, here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. And welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Well, today is a special day for us. We often talk on the show about the importance of acknowledging accomplishments and milestones and taking a break to recuperate and rejuvenate and all that good stuff. And later in the show today, we'll hear from a couple of guys who've helped keep this show rolling as we celebrate 12 years on air with KKNW. But first, my guest today has an extraordinary tale to tell. Her memoir, Wholly Unraveled, shares her journey of growing up in a Catholic cult, escaping to freedom, her fall into uh, chasing adrenaline and drugs, and eventually finding a place where she managed to quiet the demons of her past and heal, and found the courage to love herself. The book is called Wholly Unraveled, and my guest is Kilbergen. She's an entrepreneur, activist, a mom of three now. She's an author and filmmaker, and uh, we're going to bring her on so we can learn more about her story right now. Kilbergen, welcome. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, interesting story, Keel. And I think, um, I don't know what it is, whether there's something in the air, but I've heard uh, of several people that I've known or worked with over the years, not real well, but, you know, I've kind of run into them here or there, who've, who've chosen to go into a cult-like situation. Uh, I don't know if they see it as an escape from the world, but you were, were you actually born into this because you did grow up in a cult? Correct. I was born into it with my six siblings and my mom and dad. And so, um, so when you're born into a situation like that, it's it's not a choice, obviously. And I'm guessing you're not consciously aware for much of your childhood that, um, hey, we live a lot differently to other people uh, who aren't in the cult. I'm wondering at what time, what situation, what sparked that recognition in you that hey something is not quite right here that you know other people don't live this way right uh, great question i i knew fairly early on because i would watch other families i because i was told i have no voice and i was told to be quiet a lot and not speak i listened i became a really good listener and i would literally hide under the boardwalk and listen to people as they would walk above me and hear their stories. And so I knew mine was not, you know, quote unquote, a normal story. Um, and that this cult, especially because my dad was one of the leaders of the cult, um, I was really clear that it was not what everyone was living through. Right, right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the kind of cult you were in. It's a, a Catholic cult, it's a Disciples of Light. Um, you said just now your father was one of the leaders. Many prayed in tongues. Um, there were arranged marriages. Women couldn't work outside the home. You couldn't even really dress as you wanted to dress. Tell us about That's, what that you know what it was all like. Well, given that I had, I felt even as a little girl, I felt like I had so much to say, and I wasn't allowed to say it. And I was watching my mom, kind of 
vacate her womanhood as well in terms of, you know, first it started with she couldn't highlight her hair and then kind of that last color dripped from her face when they said you weren't allowed to wear lipstick anymore. And so it was quite scary because, number one, I never knew what was coming down the pipe, what which new rules were going to come into effect. Um, and number two, I, I really loved being a little girl and I wanted to explore what that meant as I grew older and was not uh, was not encouraged or allowed to do that. Right. So since all of this is directed at women, uh, it's obviously a very patriarchal, um, very patriarchal cult. Did how did it how did it affect men other than the fact that, you know, they wouldn't allow their women to dress as they please or wear makeup? Right. Um all I can say is my own experience of that. It, I watched my father become more powerful, which led to more narcissism, which led to more rules, um, because as the district head, which is what he was called for the Shore District, he was in charge of all the families. And so the dads of the families would call my father and say, you know, my daughter did this wrong. How do I punish her? So it really became, for me, what I unraveled over time was that my father really felt like God. And so I was scared of God, but really I was scared of my dad. Mm. He was quite violent. I mean, it was nothing for him to take a stick to you. At one point, he even pointed a gun at your head. I mean, this is your dad. This is, you know, it's unreal when you read about it, but these things happen. Yes, that happened. Um, It was the scariest thing in my life. Um, I was... I knew something bad was going to happen that day. I was I was definitely on high alert from the time he, he had hit me in the morning and, and then taken me on this walk in the desert saying he was going to kill me for hours. Um, and, and it was... And why? Why? Why was he going to kill you? There wasn't... I would love to say there was a reason. Uh, there wasn't. I, I, uh, the night before, we had gotten in a... We were on Lake Powell on a boat, and he had forgotten to put the anchor down. And I think he was mad at himself. And when he was mad at himself... Mm like a lot of narcissists do, he took it out on me. Right, right. Um, and so how did that that particular incident, um, I mean, I can't imagine, I, I've known people, I used to work in banking, and I've known people who've had guns held to the head during robberies, and they've never quite been the same after. How did that leave you, and, and how old were you when that happened? I was about 12 years old, and it left me with a very... Um, well, it was trauma, and so I've had to do, I've worked really hard in my life to alleviate the trauma as best I can. I mean, the scars are always be there, but I don't have a trauma response to that anymore, and I, I have to say that's a lot of the therapy that I've done. Um, and, but it, it will always leave that mark, especially because it's my father. It's the person who's supposed to protect me, not threaten me. And more so, really, it's amazing to me that the, the real forgiveness, the hardest person I had to forgive was really my mother because she didn't stop it and she knew it was going on. And that was a lot of my healing came when I finally forgave my mother. Even when you were raped, she uh, basically chose to turn a blind eye to that, right? Is that because she was afraid herself? I can't answer that for her. I really don't know. I know that she wasn't taught how to be a mother or a woman. Her mom was sick from the time she was seven until she was 14, and so she never saw her mother. And so I 
don't know. I can only say my own experience. Which right. Was, she was in the room with the doctor who said this girl has been raped and and my mom didn't do anything about it. Right, right. So at some point you start thinking that the Disciples of Light uh, is not the place where you want to be or need to be. And um, were you planning to escape? I know you went away to college, but I mean, did you see that as your only way out, period? I did. I saw that as a terrific way out. Uh, my father said he would pay for college if I went to a Catholic university. And so I, I was like, fine, you know, I just, I just need out. Um, and so I, I did that and, and I ended up spending that next, gosh, maybe 10 years or so really with quite bad behavior because I was really, like you said earlier, I was chasing this adrenaline. Like I, I didn't have anyone to control me anymore. And I couldn't control myself. I was never taught how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept chasing this this unknown. This is the problem when you live with such a strict doctrine. You are not taught to think for yourself. You're just taught to follow whatever your leaders are telling you. And so you come out to this college experience. And even though it was a Catholic, uh, you know, my nephews and nieces went to Catholic school. Uh, I know what they got up to at school. <laughs> so, I mean, it must, <laughs> it must have been a real, uh, a real shock to the system to, to, you know, suddenly you can wear whatever you like. Uh, you, I mean, you weren't allowed red jeans, for example, were considered a sin where you were before. And now you can wear what you want. You can wear makeup, you, you're drinking and, and drugs are available to you. Um, I, I can't even imagine what it was like. So how long did this experience go on for you when you were um, just, as you said, chasing adrenaline? I think that's a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was almost uh, about a decade, really. Um, four of that, obviously, uh, I was in university. And then after that, I stayed there and, you know, had the usual <laughs> bartending jobs and dated drug dealers and, you know, went to Mexico once and broke into drug dealers' homes and uh, into their home and stole their drugs. Like, I, it was really terrible behavior that I, I've come to terms with now and forgiven myself, but it was um, life-threatening behavior, really. And that started the process of my healing because I realized if I don't change this behavior, I'm going to die, period. Yeah, and you say you didn't even really know um that you didn't want to die until you almost did. So um, tell us about that experience What what and what how that changed you and how that set you on a different course. Mm. I woke up um, in the grass in the middle of the morning, probably, you know, just as the sun was coming up. I had taken too many drugs. I don't know what they were because they were just being handed to, to me. And I took, I mean, I, I take full responsibility for taking them. But apparently I had stopped breathing, and there must have been an angel driving the limousine that I was in with the drug dealers in the back with me, um, and they I just remember they were dancing on me. My, my body was on the ground of the limo, and the last thing I remember is they were pouring, like cold drinks were being poured on me, and they were dancing, and I, I blacked out, and the limo driver had been counting heads apparently. And he pulled me out of the limo and resuscitated me. And then my so-called friends um, left me there on, on the grass. And I woke in the morning and thought that was my epiphany was I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was I was maybe 100 pounds soaking wet and 
had I just had given up on eating and you know a diet coke and pretzels were a full meal and um I remembered this priest his he was actually an archbishop he was the archbishop of Galilee his name was archbishop raya and he I knew him when I was a little girl he came to visit us in in uh spring lake new jersey and I remember him being different he was he would talk about Marilyn Monroe and he would take me for a walk on the boardwalk and ask me questions and wanted to hear my answers. And I remember him saying, all there is is love. It's love. And I remembered that when I was laying in that grass and I decided to try to go find him. I knew he lived in northern Ontario, Canada at the time. And so I hitchhiked uh, up there uh, to a place called Madonna House, which is ironically, a lay apostolate Catholic community where they live in silence, no refrigeration, no indoor plumbing. Um, and I lived there with 150 other people um, for a little over a year, and I, I uh, lived in silence, and I worked. I sheared sheep and milked cows and um, all, you name it. Mm. I want to dive a little bit more, de- a little bit deeper into Madonna House because uh, when you first hear about it, that too sounds like a cult in a way. But um, but this is the place where you healed and and found the courage to love yourself. So it's a very significant uh, turning point for you. My guest is Kiel Bargain. Her book is called Holy Unraveled and uh, a memoir of her her time uh, to date. So uh, you're listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. Please do stay with us. We'll be right back. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at Paws a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, Paws helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a Paws foster care volunteer. For more information, visit paws.org or 425-787-2500. Paws.org or 425-787-2500. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair airs live every Monday at noon. And now you can also catch the show during drive time at 6 a.m. every Friday. Hear from New York Times bestselling authors, innovative business leaders, cutting-edge health and wellness professionals, award-winning journalists, filmmakers, explorers, and adventurers. Tune in to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, Mondays at noon Pacific time and Fridays at 6 a.m. Right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. 
Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Kiel Bergen. She, uh, her new memoir is called Holy Unraveled. And Kiel is an entrepreneur and activist, author and filmmaker. And uh, we're talking about her survival story here and her, her journey to self-discovery and why, why she's now talking, uh, written this book and talking to people about it. Um, but I want to go back before we get there, Keel. I want to go back to Madonna House. We were talking about that before the break. Um, you've left the cult. You have a decade of uh, too many drugs, too much freedom. <laughs> you don't know what to do with it. And you go in, you go in search of um, Archbishop Raya. And uh, he's at this uh, in, in Ontario, Canada, and he's at this institute called Madonna House, which um, is also a Catholic institute. Um, and I said before the break, it sounds almost cult-like itself. So explain the difference to us, if you would, so we can understand what was, you know, you definitely were in a cult with Disciples of Light. How was this different at Madonna House? I really appreciate that question because I would never want anyone to think that Madonna House was cult-like or cult-ish at all. Um, Madonna House is where people go voluntarily, and they can stay for their life. They can take promises to stay there for years or a lifetime or whatever have you. Um, I went for one year. And the difference for me is that Madonna House is nothing but love. It's what Archbishop said to me. Uh, when I, you know, when I was a young girl, this place envelops you with such a sense of I'm okay with whoever I am, and I would, I would sit at the meals and just cry. I, I had so many tears and so much sadness and so much pain, and they just held me. And I don't mean with their arms or their bodies. I just mean they spiritually held me in a way that so that I could heal myself. And that I could finally receive love. And it was the most, it, yes, it's structured, and yes, it's Catholic, and I'm not Catholic anymore, but the, it was such a beautiful place full of peace and love and service. You know, while I was, you know, sorting beans all day, which was quite boring, someone else was, you know, chopping firewood so that we would have heat that night in our dorm room. Uh, and someone else was, uh, shearing the sheep or milking the cows or t- tending to the chickens so that we would have food. Um, it, was a, it was a beautiful place and intensely healing for me. Yeah. And so you did a lot of communal work there, as you said, and, and that work was uh, pretty much done in silence. Why Why the silence? Um, Catherine dehuic Darty was the foundress. Um, she was from Russia. She was a, they called her the Russian baroness. Um, and she really believed in uh, um, that she has a little mandate um, to all the people who were there. And one of the things was do little things exceedingly well for the love of God. And so that's why we did all the little things like sorting beans and, you know, um, I cleaned handkerchiefs all day. Or And the silence was really about being of service to others and being of service to whatever you call God or being service to yourself. And really paying attention, it, it, because it's such a place of healing, um, I believe that the silence is part of that healing, which is ironic, really, because I was told in my youth 
that I didn't have a voice. And so I paid a high price for silence in my youth. And it took me decades to use my voice. But then there's a power to silence. And I learned that by being at Madonna House, that there is, there is an intense power around being silent and really organizing who you are and who you want to be inside. Yes, there's a difference between being told, uh, be quiet, you don't have a voice here, to being silent and being reflective and going deep inside and looking for the answers within, because I think we pretty much have them within ourselves if we take that time, right? Correct. I, I really believe that. And I think there's, I mean, I, I'm a proponent for the Me Too movement, but sometimes it feels like people are just screaming about their abuse or their whatever it is, and we need to stop yelling. And sometimes we need to be silent to heal and then talk about it. Right. That's right. What, that was my experience that worked for me. I want to talk about EMDR therapy because you swear by this. You say it is uh, it has made a huge difference in your life. Um, I did a little research on it um, and somewhat familiar with it, um, but it also has its detractors. There are people who say it can cause anxiety and um, it, it's not always helpful. So I think it's like anything. You've got to find what works for you and why it works for you. Tell us why it worked. Tell us first of all what EMDR therapy is and why it worked for you. Okay, uh, EMDR therapy stands for it's an acronym for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it's basically an interactive psychotherapy technique um, that's used for trauma. And for me, it was very effective, both for me remembering my memories, and you know, I wouldn't say reliving them, but but reducing the trauma. So basically, and I, I know there's a lot of science around this, which I, I it works so well for me, I don't even care about the science. But <laughs> right. I can tell you a little bit about I, I, it. That's why I say I think if, if something works for you, you don't question it too much, right? So. Right. I'm like, oh, is that what's happening? Okay, well, it's working. So, um, and, and I think also I would say to people that you have to find the right therapist. Uh, Keith is my therapist, and I owe him... He was like the first, my first real, like he, like almost a father figure because I know he loves me. Mm. And so there's, there's this beautiful, like he is so intuitive about the way he works with me with EMDR. And, you know, we didn't start with the big things either. We didn't, he didn't start day one with, okay, now we're going to talk about your rape. You know, we started with how does it feel when your mother you know, didn't nurture you, like smaller things, which I, I get can be large as well. So I think finding a therapist that you have that intense trust with um, and that you, you can go places that you wouldn't normally go. And EMDR for me has given me, it's taken it from trauma to, I, I don't have a trauma response anymore when people talk about my, my rape or the, the, the gun to my head with my father. It's, it's just not... Um, like I said, it will always be there, and I know it's part of my fabric of my life, but it doesn't scare me. I don't have nightmares anymore. I'm not, I'm not afraid to live my life. Right, right. Um, you said earlier you're not a Catholic. Um, you love Catholic churches, and you love the energy uh, the, the, of the people, you know, feeling that energy when you go into a church. Um, but you have a, your spiritual life now is about meditation and kundalini yoga, um, how, tell us how that's helped you. Um, 
Well, I love meditation and kundalini yoga. Like, uh, it is my, if you want to call my church, I um, I went this morning. So my Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9 to 1030, everyone in my life knows where I am <laughs> <It's> at yoga, <laughs> right? at kundalini yoga. And for me, what happened is I went deeper inside. So kundalini yoga is done with your eyes closed. Um, and, you know, some people wear turbans and, you know, they're all vegan and all of that. And I, I subscribe the way I subscribe to it, which is, um, I don't wear the turbans and I'm not vegan, but the, the the kind of the science of the technology really works for me. It takes me to a deeper level of healing. I believe that it um, you do it with your eyes closed and there's no mirrors and you're not comparing yourself to anyone. And there's lots of music. And I love the vibration of music and the feel of music mm. and the words of music. And so when you do, when I coupled the meditation with the mantras and the music, um, it just created such a special environment for me that I'm sure a lot of people feel in churches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things you talk about is laughter as medicine. And, you know, we've done shows on the importance of laughter and how it can be very healing for you. Um, for some people, and, and you probably experience this because I know you work with people who are telling their own stories, um, they get locked into that story and they can't laugh about it. So tell us from your perspective why laughter is important and how we get to that place. I don't think we're, anyone can get out of this life without pain and trauma. Uh, hopefully you get out without a lot of it. <laughs> but I have just have this fundamental belief that we, are, we need to take these things that happen to us and try to make them as beautiful as we can. I mean, not that the trauma turns into beauty, but my, I've been through a lot of trauma. And if I can take my trauma and help someone else get through theirs, it becomes a more beautiful thing. And so I believe life is messy. We're going to go up, we're going to have our ups, we're going to have our downs, but mm -hmm. it's what we do with those that's more important. And you've got to keep a sense of humor because, my gosh, the things that can happen in your life, you know, and to just trust the process and, and be in it. And when you do get super down, go be of service to someone else and it will lift you up. I think that's one of the biggest, uh, that's one of the biggest takeaways I've taken away from uh, when I've gone through traumatic situations. Nothing like this. I have to say, nothing at all like this. But that being of service to others, um, it takes you out of yourself. My grandfather used to say when I was worrying about, you know, and I was internalizing everything when I was a kid, he used to say, go climb a tree. But what he really <laughs> meant was, you know, stop festering on what's going on within you and get out and do something positive. Because as a kid, climbing a tree is positive, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. But, but and that, nature yes. in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I think... Go ahead. I just want people to realize their own resilience and their own worthiness and that it's not easy. What I went through was not easy, but it was worth it in the end because it made me who I am. Exactly. And I wouldn't change it now. Yeah. Yeah. So you have um, children now. What have you told them about your past? I know you're not in touch with your family. You you still connect with one brother, but you, you've not talked about him in the book. Um, but but what have you told your children about that? Um, and, and why did you feel you needed to share that with them? Well, 
first of all, I needed to share it with them because I think if you don't tell the stories, then you can repeat those stories. And so I'm a firm believer in telling your story. And you tell it age appropriately, right? And so I have a 19-year-old and I have two 13-year-olds. And so they know different things because of their ages. Right. But they understand that, that um, my family was, that, that I have chosen family now. My, my sisterhood my, are, are my friends that I've chosen as my family. And they, I, I don't know if um, you read this part in the book, but in the acknowledgments, my son, when he was 10 years old, we bumped into my father. And he was on the street, and I, I saw him walking by, and I said, oh, my God, you, you guys, that's my father. And both my twins, were, my twins were like, what? Right. And Liam said, you have to go talk to him. And he held my hand, and I walked in that coffee shop. We parked the car, and I walked in the coffee shop, and I said, hi. I was so nervous. And my dad leaned down to my son and said, do you know who I am? And my son looked him right in the eye, and he said, you're my mother's father. And he said, no, I'm your grandfather. And he said, no, you're my mother's father. Mm. And, and I thought that was beautiful because I, I believe in telling the truth about the situation. They don't know about the gun and things like that yet. But I will tell them the truth when they ask. And they're allowed to read it when they're 18. My 19-year-old doesn't want to read it. So right. <laughs> I'm safe for now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So, um, you know, we're running a little short on time here, so I want to make sure we get this in. Um, you had a very compelling why, why you wanted to write this book. And I know it took you a time to get to a place where you could write it and then to get you know, more time to get to a place where you could release it. Um, but what was the why that was driving you? My why, and I sat with this on a blank piece of paper for a long time, and my why is that I want everyone to tell their story especially the story that they don't want to say out loud because that's the one that unconsciously or consciously is holding them back. And once you can tell that story, you can release any kind of shame or anger or fear or betrayal. All of that can start to be released, and there's a beautiful healing that can start to happen. Yeah. And so if somebody uh, is listening to this, uh, maybe they're not because they're in a cult. If they're in a cult, they may not listen to radio, right? But um, <laughs> what, what if somebody's, it doesn't have to be a cult even. It can be a very difficult, some relationships are very difficult to leave because you're in a controlling situation. What do you want those people to um, hear from you? I want them to hear that you are worthy and you need to live the life you are meant to live. And if you're living in fear or that shame or what if I leave, start to talk to someone about it. Whether it's a therapist or a really good friend, start to talk. It doesn't mean you have to get on a stage and tell a thousand people what's happening, but really start to go inside. Be silent inside for a while and try to figure it out. But know that you are resilient and you are worthy and that it won't be easy, but it will definitely be worth it at the end. Mm -hmm. And what you do will help someone else. Right. Because your experience and your strength and your hope will help someone else. And it's been a number of years since you left um, because you had a decade at college, you know, a decade uh, before you went to Madonna House even. But um, what do you know now that you wish you had known back then when you first left the cult? What What's the one thing that would have really helped you um, get through this more smoothly? I'm good enough as I am. I'm more than good enough. I am 
well, the way I say it in my book, I, I came up with my essence statement there. I am keel. I am worthy, powerful, connected, and sensual, experiencing life with abundance, laughter, and vulnerability. I wish I knew, because that's my core, and I wish I had known that about myself then. Keel Bergen, what a pleasure talking with you. I'm so glad you made it safely through and are now helping others out there tell their stories so that they feel safe. Um, Thank you so much, Becky. Listeners can find out more about you at uh, keelbergen.com. Anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Uh, Just that I'm really grateful for the journey. And thanks for being with us. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to do a little celebration. <laughs> but again, you can find uh, Keel's book, at, uh, more about Keel at keelbergen.com, her book, Holy Unraveled. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Let's see if I... I guess that... <sighs> this just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing. Writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. Have fun this boating season and be safe. When you're in open water, it's not enough to be a good swimmer. River currents, ocean riptides, and cold temperatures can quickly sweep you off course and disorient you. Don't rely on swim aids such as water wings or noodles. Everyone should wear a Coast Guard approved life jacket. Make sure you know CPR and never drink and boat. Learn more about boating safety from the professionals at USCGBoating.com. Brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair airs live every Monday at noon. And now you can also catch the show during drive time at 6 a.m. every Friday. Hear from New York Times bestselling authors, innovative business leaders, cutting-edge health and wellness professionals, award-winning journalists, filmmakers, explorers, and adventurers. Tune in to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, Mondays at noon Pacific time and Fridays at 6 a.m. Right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Dr. Nels Rasmussen, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 4th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll definitely check in with Laurel Cook and Seattle Dogs Homeless Program. We'll chat with the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga about upcoming events and classes. Kathy will have her list of special animal-related holidays, plus more, on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Listeners trust the show and advertisers love the audience. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Okay, so we cram so much into our shows every week. I thought we'd take a few minutes uh, to bring the team all together because we never get all together except if we do something like this and it's been a a couple of years since we did it um, and just celebrate. Um, We're 12 years on air this week and um, as you know, nothing happens in in a vacuum. It takes a lot of people, a lot of input and um, commitment and consistency and that's one of the things I admire in both of these guys that I'm going to introduce to you now first of all of course Eric Ryder in the studio here with us hello hello every week keeping us live <laughs> in addition to being the operations manager at KKNW he's produced our show for the entire 12 years and we also did three years together before with Positive Choice Talk Radio so that's right 15 years we've worked together <laughs> that's right and we're not sick of each other yet, so we must have some kind of good chemistry. It's longer than a lot of marriages last, That's Eric. true. <laughs> Even though I'm old enough to be his mom. But, <laughs> but um, it's, it's um, you know, I do only come in once a week. Maybe that's got something to do with it. We have um, also on the phone David Vandver, and I want to introduce him because, David, you tell us how long you've been. You've been with us about nine years, right? Yeah, nine or ten years, because I moved out to Washington in 2009 and started for you at the end of the year there. So, yeah, about ten years. Yeah. And Derek, uh, uh, David is, I was combining David and Eric there. I got a Derek. <laughs> we'll get him on the team next time. <laughs> I'm da- not changing my name. <laughs> not ch- I don't think Eric's changing his either. So, David is uh, joining us from the Lacey area. He lives down there. We've only actually met physically once, and that was when I was training him on some stuff that we we needed to get done. And he takes care of uh, all of our uh, website stuff. So he's like an associate producer, digital producer. He he makes sure that all of the podcasts are put up when Eric sends them to him, and he makes sure all of the content's up to date. So um, really appreciate that, David. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. And you used to work in radio um, quite a while ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I graduated back in 2000 from uh, Bates Technical College yeah. in their audio uh, sound program. And so you're back... And I dabbled a little bit yeah. after that, but kind of got sidetracked doing stand-up comedy, so... <laughs> right. And yeah. I, I, I can tell that because uh, sometimes I can tell when David's punchy or I'm punchy because we send these long rambling emails at like 11 <laughs> o'clock at night or something. And um, but it, it, there's always a lot of humor in there, which is uh, I appreciate. 
Um, yeah, we, we have a similar sense of humor, too, so it works. <laughs> That's true. Eric does, too. <laughs> and we just talked about the importance of laughter, right, in, in healing and, yeah. and in life. And I think you've got to be able to laugh at situations. So my, my dad always used to say, take, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I thought it would be kind of fun if we did this, uh, asked each other a couple of questions, and um, I pulled off the, the uh, Marcel Proust questionnaire. Um, he, Marcel Proust uh, was born in 1871. He died in 1922. He was a French intellectual, author, and critic, and best known for his seven-volume fiction, In Search of Lost Time, which actually... Uh, gave him a great reputation because he became one of the most important writers of his century, influential writers of his century. So I want to, um, oh, and it's, this was interesting too. I'll share this before we dive in here. But um, his friend, Antoinette, asked him this list of questions when I think he was 13. So that these questions have been around for a long time, but they are often used in, in various situations. And I thought it'd be kind of fun for us to pull off. So, um, Eric, why don't we start with you? You're going to ask a question of each of us from the Prowse questionnaire. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Um, so let's start with David. Uh, David, what's your greatest extravagance? Oh, my greatest extravagance. I'm a very uh, simple person. I like to live simply. So I would say my greatest extravagance against would probably have to be, and I'm kind of old school with this, but my DVD collection. Oh, okay. Because it's, I know that doesn't sound like much, but there it numbers in the thousands. And wow. I don't really spend a lot of money on other things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Moving must be tough. Oh, yeah. You know, I try filling a box with those things, and oh, my goodness, that gets heavy. Wow. Any particular yeah. any particular DVD you want to recommend? Um, not the one I just watched the other night. In fact, I even told Vicky already that it was a uh, it wasn't a very good rendition of the Godzilla series. <laughs> so don't watch the 2014 version of Godzilla. He, okay. was, um, he was complaining he'd stayed up too late, but uh, then I was like, "Oh, this must have been a good movie. What was it?" And he said, "Godzilla." <laughs> yeah, wasn't even worth staying up for. Well, I'll, I'll give two recommendations. My personal favorite movie if you just want to watch something that's fun to watch is the big lebowski yeah um, I love that's that a coen brothers film mm -hmm. yeah i've seen that and then as far as if you want to take something a little more seriously you know and it's got a little bit of humor in it too but the movie a sling blade with billy bob thornton i don't know if either of you ever seen yeah, that but i've seen a, i've that's seen great that too, too. Yeah. yeah 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 it's yeah. a long movie, but Billy Bob puts in a tour de force acting performance. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. All, All right. right. So, David, let you jump along and ask a question of Eric. My turn? Okay, so, Eric, now you're obviously a talented person. We've already discussed, you know, how much you do as far as board operating and, and your audio and specialties. His band. And I know he you're a noted musician as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great producer. So He's well-known in Tacoma. You. <laughs> and around. So the question I'm going to ask you is, you have all of these talents already, but what talent would you most like to have that you don't already have? Oh, boy, that is a tough question. Um, well, you know, I, I play guitar, and I, I think I'm all right at that. Um, I guess I would I'd like to be able to play other instruments. Uh, it would be cool to be able to do, like, cello or 
saxophone or whatever, you know, um, or be better at keys. And, uh, you know, some of the, the other members of my band, they're able to hear a song and then just go, oh, yeah, and then play that. I can't do that. I can't play by ear. I I have to like meticulously learn stuff. So I guess that would be my the talent I really wish I had would be to play stuff by ear. So you can jam. That's right. Yeah. I can jam, yeah. but just yeah. not like hear a song on the oh, radio right. yeah. and go, "Hey, I'll yeah. just pick that out." Yeah. Yeah, it takes me a lot longer. <laughs> so right. that that would be You a know good time. when I when I played the drums many years ago, I was kind of self-taught and I wasn't very good, but that's how I taught myself was putting in a CD and just trying to play along mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of whatever people, I was hearing. A lot of artists will do that with paintings and writers do it with books. They kind of try and copy. All right, I'm going to ask a question because we don't have a lot of time here. Um, all right, David, which historical figure do you most identify with? Ooh, a historical figure. That's a really good question. I'm going to put, um, you, put you on a timer here because I want to get one that to Eric too. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to. I don't want to take up too much time and think too hard. So yeah, just, I'm going to who, who go. Pops to mind? Out on a limb, I'm going to grab somebody who just popped in my head because you know that's we don't have time to really think. So I'm going to go with Abraham Lincoln. Oh. And okay. yeah, I know. Didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> I didn't <laughs> see that coming. And, well, the reason is you know obviously he stood for a lot of things like. You know, uh, freeing the slaves and everything like that and emancipation and all that. But I really like stovepipe hats. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, you know, okay. I think it's something that's it's out of vogue. They're not popular anymore. And I think that it would be really cool to bring the stovepipe hat back. There you go. I, I would have liked to have had those long, swishy dresses that, that ladies wore back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Eric, I know you have... You have a lot of friends because you have a big circle. You've lived down where you live for a long time, and I've heard you over the years talk about various friends. Um, what what's uh, what do you most value in friends? Uh boy, that's a good question. One that I haven't really given a lot of thought to, but um, just off the top of my head, I, I really value being able to confide in a friend to be able to talk about problems and then actually listening <laughs> and not just you know going oh that's great and then yeah let me tell you suck what it happened up to me. dude suck it up dude <laughs> yeah because I, I i'll be honest i do have some friends that really want to get to their thing as quick as possible so they'll listen for maybe even a sentence but right. try to get a whole story out so right. patience i guess is a is a virtue that i really admire oh good yeah good um, okay, who's next on the question? Eric. Did we want to take the break or did we want to oh, keep on questioning? Yeah, yeah, we have to take a quick break. Sorry, forgot about that. That's all good. Go ahead. All right, then you're on the spot <laughs> when we get back, Vicky. I was having too much fun. <laughs> all right, stay tuned for more Conversations Live. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Have fun this boating season and be safe. When you're in open water, it's not enough to be a good swimmer. River currents, ocean riptides, and cold temperatures can quickly sweep you off course and disorient you. Don't rely on swim aids such as water wings or noodles. Everyone should wear a Coast Guard-approved life jacket. Make sure you know CPR and never drink and boat. Learn more about boating safety from the professionals at USCG.com. 
voting.org. Brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Live well and live strong. Reach her great audience and advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Broaden your horizons. You'll be amazed at all the topics we cover on Alternative Talk 1150. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, you're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clown. We're celebrating 12 years live on air. 12 years, folks. Thanks for being with us and supporting us through this 12-year uh, journey. And to help us celebrate today, uh, Eric Ryder's joining me in the studio, as he always does, but uh, we're having a little chit-chat today. David Vanver, who also is uh, an associate producer, he is uh, joining us via phone. All right, and we're, we're playing silly here. We're answering questions off the Proust questionnaire, and I was trying to avoid, I was hoping David would talk longer so I didn't have to answer mine, but I, I think I'm next up. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got me wired. <laughs> Who's doing the honors? Am I asking? Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I'll, so how about you, Vicky? When and where were you happiest? Oh, gosh, I'm quite happy uh, most of the time. <laughs> but I, I do, um, I, there was a period in time when I just was really, really happy. And it's a time when a lot of people are not. And that's when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, and my dad, I remember him coming home one day and saying, it's such a pleasure coming home to you because you're always so happy. And I was happy because I loved going to school. I was one of those weirdos, right? <laughs> loved going to school. I loved my friends at school. And I had a horse. And so as soon as I came home from school, I grabbed a beagle dog. We went up the farm. And I just played with my horse until it got dark. So what's not to be happy about, guys? <laughs> that sounds like a pretty idyllic yeah. life. But when, you know, that my parents... like an idyllic uh, childhood. Every, yeah. Everybody else's parents were tearing their hair out. I, I was uh, having fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, what's your question for me? Okay, so I'm going to ask you one because you've interviewed thousands of people, literally. And so you'll have an interesting take on this. What is the trait you most deplore in others? Oh, <laughs> um, I duplicity. I, I think is duplicity. Um, I just uh, have a hard time with people who uh, say one thing and turn around and do another thing. I like people to be open and upfront, even if that's uh, not always great news. <laughs> I'd rather them be that way than uh, be um, insincere. Yeah, I think I have to go with that one, David. Well, that's good, because and that saves a lot of time when people are just open up front and say what they're thinking and mean what they're saying. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so um, we've got about a minute here, so I'm going to squeeze another little one in here for you, because Eric's run out of the studio for some reason. Um, but something, something's, <laughs> <Okay>. going, <laughs> something's going on. He doesn't want to ask another question. So really quick, David, because we don't have a lot of time. I've sure. got to get something in here. Um, which, which, oh, okay, I know this one. What is the quality you most like in a woman? Because I heard about this redhead at college once. <laughs> <laughs> the quality I most like in a woman, I'm going to have to say is almost the same answer you gave, sincerity and honesty. Oh, okay, good. All right. All right, Eric, so uh, can I ask you one more quick question? Sure. And um, what is... Your greatest fear. Ooh, my greatest fear. 
<laughs> Boy, I think it's dead air. <laughs> Being in radio for as long as I have, you know, that's the thing that gives me the little heart attack. Like, oh, no, something's gone wrong here. We We've been there. Air. Remember one day when well, there was a storm outside and it took, right. took out all the power and Eric's like, thumbs up, we're covered because we've got generators. Yes. And guess and what the happened? Died. The generator died. And so we're oh, like, oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> but that's only happened once in the whole yes. 15 years I've been here because we, I kid you not, we have a state-of-the-art studio here. It is beautiful. Yeah, and luckily uh, we have pretty nice weather <laughs> normally here in the Northwest, but yeah. occasionally stuff like that will happen and the lights will go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's been great having you guys uh, all together and um, I so appreciate it. everything you do and continue to do for the show to make it successful. And of course, I appreciate our wonderful listeners for tuning in and people who've sponsored us over the years. And uh, yeah, gratitude and appreciation all around it. Nothing happens in a vacuum here. So, um, and before we go, I want to uh, just say uh, one quick thing here, um, you know, it. 12 years, I work full-time, for those who don't know, I work full-time in addition to producing the radio show. And so um, I've decided to take a little break, but we're not going away. I'm just going to take a little break. Um, we're going to bring you some encore presentations every week. Eric's still going to be manning the studio. Eric, uh, David's still going to be uploading stuff on the website, and I'm still going to be working. Um, but I just want to do a little restructuring, a little regrouping, and maybe a little, uh, you know, refreshing. I, <laughs> I'd like to go... Uh, Take a couple of days camping and do stuff like that. So we're going to um, bring you an encore presentation, and I'll be back in the uh, studio in a few weeks. And this live. is a great chance for people to hear some of your favorite shows that uh, we've done over the year. Absolutely. And it's also um, an opportunity for you to um, ping me, conversationslive.net. Just email me, conversationslive.net. Let me know what you'd like to see in future upcoming shows because we're planning ahead all the time. All right, we've got to go. I thank you. Thanks, everyone. I just can't say enough. Thank you. And thank you, Vicky. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Vicky. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Have a good day, everyone. We'll see. Uh, we'll bring you a show next week. Until then, <laughs> live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.